the whole idea of super is that we eventually all become self-funded retirees. You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 160 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. An SMSF trustee has a long list of responsibilities. It is definitely not a job to be taken lightly. Here's Rani Gender of Turnbull Hill Lawyers in Newcastle with more details. As a trustee, they have a fiduciary duty. They have a duty to do the right thing by the members of the trustee. There are two types of trustees. The first is a trustee in their own right, so that's a person that usually has to be the members of the fund. And the other option is what we call a corporate trustee, which is where you create a company, which is the trustee, but for that company, the members have to be the directors and shareholders. So the first thing for a self-managed super, this is just in relation to a self-managed super fund, is that they have to understand their role as a trustee. So ultimately, they are responsible for running the fund. They can delegate tasks to service providers such as accountants or there are organisations that help you run your self-managed super fund. But it is essential that they understand what their duties are, what their responsibilities are, and what their obligations are of being a trustee, because it won't be an excuse if something goes wrong to say, well, I relied on my accountant. Yes. So the ATO will always go after the trustee, and then the trustee might have recourse against their accountant or advisor. Yes, that's true. And whenever a super fund is a non-compliant super fund, it's a penalty. So usually the issue becomes a monetary penalty. So they're going to lose money. And I don't think it, it just stops with monetary penalties. I think it can go up to criminal law and trustees can go to prison for really serious. It can. Um, you, you don't often see that so much in self-managed super funds because It's the members and the the trustees are controlled of, of, of sort of one in the same. Whereas if you are a trustee for a trust and you commit a breach and that uh, affects beneficiaries who had no control, then you're more likely to face criminal charges, sanctions. Yeah. Or if the trustee does something illegal. There's a couple of responsibilities and it's always going to be governed by the Superannuation Industry Supervision Act um, and also by the, the trust deed. So the first responsibility is they have to act in accordance with the deed. And I think that there would be a lot of people out there that are the directors of a corporate trustee or members and in their own right trustees that probably haven't actually read, read the trust deed of their own trust. So often these trustees get created. The first thing I would advise anyone to do is read your trustee. It's the rules of the fund. It will then explain to you quite clearly what the responsibilities of the trustee are. The main one is to not breach the legislation, which is the Superannuation Industry Supervision Act. We call it the CIS Act because it's easier to say. Super fund can do and there are things that a super fund can't do. The main 
responsibilities, understanding what your fund is allowed to do and making sure that if you act in your capacity as trustee, you're not going to A, breach the law, but B, breach the terms of the trust deed. The Superannuation Industry Supervision Act sets out what a superannuation, self-managed superannuation fund can and cannot do. The regulations, if you consider the Act as the rule book, the regulations are the how-to. So they break down in more detail and probably are more practical of how the government believes that this Act and these laws should be followed. If the Corporation Act is involved, so the Corporation Act governs what a company can do. So if you have personal trustees of your self-managed super fund, you're not going to enter into corporation law. Corporation law will, uh, the Corporation Act will only apply if you have a company that is your trustee. What the ATO has said very consistently for many years is that they prefer for a self-managed super fund to have a corporate trustee. The reason for that, and I understand we may be talking about this a bit later, is because a company can't actually lose capacity where a a person can. So that's why um, the ATO prefers and encourages people to not be personal trustees but to have a corporation as their trustee. And if you go down that path, you'll be then subject to the corporations. There are basically four rule books the trustee needs to look out for, the trust deed, the SIS Act, the SIS regulations, and if the uh, SMSF has a corporate trustee, the Corporations Act. Yes, there are other rules that can be imposed under tax laws and there can be rules under trust law. But that's obviously a, a very, that's a, a huge amount of legislation where we would, the first port of call, if there was any issue in a self-managed super fund, and I was reviewing it, is I would go to the CIS Act and then I would get some clarification from the CIS regulations. The trustee must act, as we said, in accordance with the clauses of the self-managed super fund trust deed. So the trust deed needs to have a good amount of knowledge about the fund. It needs to be familiar with the trust deeds because that's the rule book of the fund. There are responsibilities that are set out with that. It also, the CIS Act expressly states that the trustee must comply with all the trust deed provisions. And as we talked about earlier, a trustee cannot delegate its duties and responsibilities and obligations. So it can definitely seek help and seek guidance because there are people that deal with self-managed super funds every day and the legislation changes, not overly regularly, um, but it does change. And what you are meant to do to be a compliant self-managed super fund does change. So it's important to have someone that understands self-managed super funds be it a financial advisor, an accountant, a lawyer, who can give you guidance. But if you say, I solely relied on this advice, it won't get you across the threshold of discharging your duties. So we've said that you need to you need to comply with the trust deeds and the rules of the fund. The next thing you're looking at is the actual regulations. So if you have a self-managed super fund, there is 
a sole purpose test. This means that the object of the fund is for one purpose only, and that is to be a self-managed super fund. So when you set up the trust, which is the self-managed super fund, it can't do anything else but be for the purpose of the benefit of the members upon retirement or the dependents in the case if the member's death die before retirement. So you can't access any of the funds that may be put in that self-managed super fund now it, it always has to be for the sole purpose of making provision for when you retire. There are contribution rules which set out who can contribute, how much they contrib contribute and when it can be contributed and the tax on contributions. So they are tightening up the regulations about super because a lot of people put money into super for the tax benefits, which the government, in in my opinion, are trying to limit. But for example, you can't contribute more than twenty five thousand per financial year into your self managed super fund. And if you contribute more of that, there may be penalties that are applied to that. Concessional, you can't contribute more than twenty five thousand concessional contributions, and then of yes. course you can contribute non concessional up to a hundred thousand. Yes. Um, the other thing is who can contribute. So you have to contribute your own money into the super fund. I can't, well, unless I'm an employee, I can obviously, sorry, an employer, I can put it in. But other than that, not everyone can contribute into your super. Is that right? I mean, the spouse can contribute into his or her spouse's super, but a rich uncle can't contribute into the nephew and niece's super fund, for example. No, what they would have to do is give it to the niece and nephew and then they could do a contribution. I see. Okay, so any contribution would basically just count as a personal contribution from the member. It, yes, even if it, Even if it comes from Uncle Sam's bank account, it would still count as a contribution from the member. Yes. So investment rules, one of the key areas of responsibility for the trustee is that it's required to comply with very stringent duties and obligations of making investments. The main investment rules applying to a self-managed super fund cover having an investment strategy that has to be looked at on a regular basis, making investments on an arm's length basis. So if you're investing into something on behalf of the super fund, it's not to boost up another investment you may have. It's a, it's a sound um, investment and that goes back to the sole purpose test. The government doesn't want us to be putting away money and then using that money we put away in a reckless way. The whole idea of super is that we eventually all become self-funded retirees and the government isn't going to have to have the same constraints on uh, the same issues with having to fund pensions and things like that. So you have to have an investment strategy. I would say it's a conservative investment strategy. Um, any investment you make has to be on arm's length basis. There are restrictions on borrowings, who can borrow and, and, and sorry, how the super fund can borrow. It used to be that they couldn't borrow at all, but now they can under certain circumstances. There's restrictions on lending and providing financial assistance to members. Again, there's the idea of the super is locking it away, making it grow and being there for when you're at a retirement age. 
there were restrictions on the acquisitions of assets from related parties. An example of that can be, you know, a super fund is never going to buy shares in your trading entity or your business. And there are restrictions on what is called investment in in-house assets. So there, again, as part of your duty as a self-managed super fund trustee, you need to be aware of what the trust is allowed to do and having an investment strategy and that that's part of your duty of care but also if you all funds get audited and an auditor will want to see your investment strategy and it has to be in compliant with the spirit of what super is. We know that there has to be an investment strategy but Um, We never give any financial advice, nor would you want to take any financial advice from us. In my experience, it's usually an accountant or an outside provider that actually sets up the fund. It's not regularly set up by solicitors. Where, Where we come into play is when we're reviewing them for different purposes. So if a client says, I've got a self-managed super fund and I want to purchase this uh, commercial property, we will ask to look at the trust to make sure that that is something that the self-managed super fund is allowed to do. If we've got a client who comes to us for estate planning advice, as part of that advice, we would check this if they had a self-managed super fund we would check the deed to make sure that if they lost capacity or if they passed away, their super would go to where they intended to go. Yes, I agree with you that a lot of accountants uh, often set up an SMSF for their client. But the actual trust deed, I don't think the accountant is actually allowed to draft because that would fall under legal services that are not that they are not licensed for so usually what the the accountant does is they'll use a online provider exactly yes yeah which which is drafted by solicitors that way the deed comes under a legal license yes that's correct So there are something that is called benefit payment rules, um, which rules dictates the form of benefit payments and the associated taxation will vary depending on factors such as the form in which the payments are withdrawn and how old the member is at the time and the terms of the trustee together with the provisions of the CIS Act. So when people reach um, the age where they can draw on super, They're allowed to do it in a free way. However, some of the benefit payment rules go to if someone is terminally ill or has a, a develops a disability and that allows and which means that they cannot earn an income, then there are some provisions where they can draw down a portion of their super. So that's what that goes to. There's administration obligations arranging for a self-managed super fund to be audited by an approved auditor. A self-managed super fund has to lodge a tax return and compliance returns and provide reports to members at least annually consistent with the relevant legislation. So if we go back to the you must have an investment strategy, The trustee has a duty to make, carry out and document decisions about investing in the assets of the fund and also to carefully monitor 
their performance. The duties involve formulating and implementing an investment strategy for the benefit of all members. One important thing to remember is that the duty is prescribed in the CIS Act as a covenant, which means it's an obligation of the trustee. So that if you are a trustee of the self-managed super fund, you have to have an investment strategy. Of course, you can seek um, advice from someone appropriate about what that investment strategy will be. And as long as the investment strategy doesn't breach the rules of a super fund, there's no liability for any loss if that investment strategy does not work out. But it's important to have something in place and and it should be a written document saying that we all met and we, you know, had a glass of wine and decided we were going to invest in shares will not get you across the line and will not please your auditor. So, It's a fundamental duty of the trustee and it needs to be complied with. That's a very important point because I... Because I think in practice, the investment strategy is often a hassle. You got the fund ready for the auditor and then, ah, yes, the investment strategy still needs to be signed as well. But it actually plays a very important role to cover everybody's back if an investment goes wrong. Because if there's no strategy and the investment goes wrong, then the trustee is is on the line. But if the investment strategy said, yes, this is what we're going to do and everybody is on board with it, then if there's a loss, that's still that's still okay. And, and if you think about it, Heidi, I mean, the investment strategy is one of the most important documents you can do with your self-managed super fund because your deed, for the most part, the trust is created by deed The deed does get revisited when there's changes in legislation, so it does get amended and updated, but not on a overly regulated, uh, sorry, not on an over-regular, I can't say that. Regularity. Not often. (laughs) Not often. So basically the trust deed does not often get amended. It does at certain points, but this is something, the investment strategy is something that happens every year. And when you look at the purpose of super, which is there for your retirement, it's there for when you cannot earn an income or you're ready to retire, you want it to have performed the very best it possibly could. So I can understand that people may find the investment strategy a a burden or something to do, but really if, if this is your super and this is what you're going to enjoy your retirement on, and particularly it's often used when you're at a more vulnerable time in your life because you either cannot work or are too old to work, you you want your super to have, have performed the very best. And as, as a trustee, as you pointed out, if it's written down and everyone's agreed to it and you've got advice that, yes, it complies with with the legislation and, and it, it's just a, an insurance that I would never be... I would never be without. Yes, yes. So so the strategy really has three purposes. The first one is to have it on paper so you can show it to your legal counsel, etc., and they can sign off and say, yes, you can do this. The second one is that you're protected from the ATO if there's a loss. And then the third purpose is that you're protected from other members if there's a loss. Because if every member has signed this strategy, for example, to put everything into term deposits, then no member can later come back and say, why did we only earn 0.5% interest on 
on this money when we could have made millions investing in, in something else. So yeah. it has these three purposes, doesn't it? That's correct. The other thing is where if the if everyone says we're going to invest in uh, shares, now shares traditionally are more volatile. You can get a greater gain, as you pointed out, than in a term deposit with interest rates as they are, but you also face a more severe loss. Uh, how you decide how your money is going to be invested um, to me is really why people have self-managed super funds is they don't want to rely on another trustee to invest. They want to make their own choices. So having an investment strategy is... Is is at the core of that. It's the core of it. It's, it's making your own choices and saying, well, I think I can almost bet against a trustee of a retail fund who's going to be more cautious often, not always, but in relation to if I put my money over there, I think I'm only going to get this return. Whereas if I manage my money myself, I think I'm going to get a greater return. Otherwise, you, you wouldn't do a self-managed super fund. Because of the responsibility of the trustee of a self-managed super fund for the compliance obligations, the reporting obligations, the administration, the administrative obligations, and the taxation obligations, trustees should always seek professional help on an ongoing basis, even where the trustee have decided to do everything themselves to ensure they are complying with the regulations of, the, sorry, the requirements of the legislation and their trustee, it is possible that a professional advisor may fulfil more of a coach or mentoring role rather than getting involved in the nuts and bolts of the self-managed super fund. So you balance that with you can't outsource everything and go in blindly and um, if things go wrong, say, well, I didn't know about it. You can't rid yourself of that responsibility. But as I've sort of indicated, you know, legislation changes, governments come in and out, and the governments have very different views on what should happen with super. So the, the legislation does change. And again, it's part of your obligation to be aware of it. And the other thing I would say is whether it's a, a business or a family trust or a self-managed super fund, having an outside perspective of how you're travelling is always something of value. I don't know if you've ever written something and then asked someone to proofread it and they come back and say, oh, you missed this or have you thought about this or I don't really understand what this is. So the professional advisor is, one, a guide. Two, it helps you manage at times difficult pathways of self-managed super funds. But the other reason to have it is it's an outside look of saying, well, have you thought about doing this? Have you noticed that when you invest in this, it's not going as well as you may think? So there's a, many reasons to use professional advisors, as long as you get one that suits you and, and one that you believe in and, and that are comfortable with. You could compare the SMSF to a car. The member is always sitting in the driver's seat, meaning he, he or she has to have the hands on the steering wheel and can't take the hands off and say somebody else will drive. But at the same time, the car needs to go into <laughs> to a checkup once in a while or ask for directions, etc., so that the car is driving 
in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And if, I guess it's a little bit on that analogy, like a GPS. You get a GPS, but if you don't update it and the roads change, it's useless. Being a trustee of a self-managed super fund can seem like a daunting task, but as long as you've got the right advisors and you're cautious in what you do, you make sure you read the deed and you follow the rules, it also can be an extremely rewarding and beneficial financial decision. investment strategy as a shield of protection for when an investment turns dust. But Rani is right that it is. In the next episode, episode 161, Rani Gende will talk about what happens when an SMSF trustee dies. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaas for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>